It's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reeson. Welcome to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And today we're talking about one of my favorite topics, and it has to do with decision-making. So the actual title of today's show is Decision-Making When There Is No Good Option. And the thing about decision-making, and this is something that's taken me years to understand, and I'm sure if I have this conversation 10 or 15 years from now, I'll have a whole other layer. It's like peeling back an onion to to look at this. But from a decision-making perspective, I don't believe that we ever arrive at being the best decision-maker that we ever could be because decision-making is a learning process. It's not like you're a great decision-maker and you're not. It's that people that tend to make higher quality decisions, and by that I mean make decisions that most people like the results of, I think the people that understand that, they have mastered a decision-making process. So it's not about you're a great decision-maker, it means that you practice a decision-making process that then leads to higher results or a let's say a yield, meaning your return, that you consistently get a higher return on your decision-making process. And so once you can master a process, meaning you understand how to use the process, what I believe that you'll see is a likelihood that the decisions that you're making create the consequences that you want. Because in reality, any choice that you make, any decision that you make, anything that you do see or be has a consequence. We are living this right now with my oldest son and not to get into too much detail because while he would not be happy if I was sharing on live radio in this podcast in this format, but I'll tell you the high level. He is in eighth grade. He is straight in that middle school time period. And if you listen to my shows, I did one a couple months ago about the brain development and I did one last summer. Uh, You can go back and it was like June, actually it's probably June of 20. 21 and it talks about the brain science and how that affects our emotions and so what i what i know from that process is that your brain isn't fully developed until you're in your mid to late 20s so if you think about your average employee if you've got some people that are right out of college their brains are not fully developed and in the teenage brain especially they have an action and then work to rationalize it Okay, so they they create some kind of action, something happens, and then in their mind, they rationalize it to make it not seem as bad. So some they have some kind of action and it has a reaction. So that's a consequence. So they have some kind of action, something that they've decided there's a consequence, whether they like the consequence or not, now they're going to rationalize it to make it the best possible scenario for them. And when that happens, as an adult with a fully functioning brain, you look at that and think, what in the world is going on? Because it does not make rational sense, but yet it's just where they are. And so I have three boys and they're all at different points here. And and whatever point they are in their decision-making process has nothing to do with their physical looks. So one of my children, my oldest actually, has growth hormone deficiency. So from a size, a physical size perspective, he's actually a lot shorter than his peers. But my youngest child is actually opposite on the spectrum. So physically, he's a lot taller than his peers. From a puberty perspective, he looks further along in puberty than my oldest. Then I have a middle son who's just 
right along the average. So you think about that dynamic, it can get really confusing when you see they're all three about the same height, but you think, okay, so from a brain development perspective, wouldn't that align with the physical development? And in reality, it doesn't. And then you add in social behaviors and the development there, and those don't always align. And emotional awareness, all of those are at different levels. And so as a parent, or this is all happening in your workplace too, by the way, I'm just talking about it from a parent perspective right now. We're all at different levels and we're all growing in some way, unless you actively choose not to. But I'm sharing this because I think it's really important to understand what's actually happening. So my oldest, he makes a decision and some words come out of his mouth that he then pays a consequence for. And he doesn't like the consequence. Now, we've got one of two things that can happen. If you have an action that has a reaction, has a consequence, and you don't like it, then you can continue to repeat that action and continue to get that reaction and that consequence and not like it. Or you can say, well, when I have this action, this is the reaction and I don't like it, so I'm not gonna have this action anymore. Stop making this action because it creates this reaction. What happens if I have a different action? What reaction will that create? And that is the process of learning decision-making. It's saying, this is what I chose, this is my action, here's my consequence, I like it or I don't like it. And if I like it, I'll do more of it. And if I don't like it, I don't wanna do more of it. So in those, those middle school, even in the high school, young adult years, that's really prevalent. And, and as a parent, my job, our job as parents is not to be mad about the consequences that our kids have to pay for their choices, but to highlight that this is the choice and this is the consequence. Do you like the consequence? And getting them to identify whether they like it or not, because then they can self-adjust so that the next time a consequence may come up, they can say, oh, okay, that consequence happened because I did this. If I don't do this, I don't get this consequence. So they can start to put it together because in reality, I, I'm not at school with my kids. I don't go to school with them. I'm not with them when they're in a lot of their activities. And as they get older, the amount of time that I'll spend with them will get less and less. The whole goal of getting them to survive on their own and thrive. And so we want them to make decisions that use the framework of what we believe are the best case scenario. This is no different than what we're doing in the workplace. We want our employees to understand the framework and there's certain behaviors that we want to see happen and certain behaviors that we don't want to see happen. Now, I have had clients that have called me up and said, hey, Kathleen, I have two employees that have been fighting, literally fighting. This has not happened once. This has not happened twice. This has not happened three times. This has happened multiple times because these, these uh, managers, these leaders, they're very frustrated about how do I change the dynamic? Why would I have employees fighting? And we got to break it down and say, well, what is really happening here? Because you can't have growth in companies. I work with a lot of companies that are in growth mode, but if we're at a primal state where we have employees that are physically fighting to get what they want, we can't be in growth mode at the same time. So what we have to boil it down to what's really happening. And it's no different than what's happening in middle school. Somebody wants something, another person wants something else. And instead of going through this decision-making process, we go to a primate level. You hear that? 
And maybe it doesn't look like physical fighting in your office. Maybe it looks like narcissism. That's a word that's thrown around a lot. And quite frankly, I see it a lot in, in the United States here. I've seen it. And if we looked at a, this is my hypothesis, if we looked at a study across the United States and said, did narcissism levels rise over the last five years? I would say 100% they have at least doubled. Again, I don't have a fact about that. That is my hypothesis. The reason I say that is because we've gone inward as a society, especially with COVID, and we focused on ourselves versus society as a whole. It's why we see this kind of challenge happening. It's why we see this divisiveness in our country. And I believe that the solution is that we really look at this choice consequence scenario. And instead of shaming people for these lessons, we highlight them as the lessons that they are. So instead of shaming people that they're in these positions, we get to highlight them for the lesson that they are. So for example, to bring it into the workspace, if you've got two people that are physically fighting, now this may seem extreme for a lot of you, but it indeed does happen. Obviously there's something that they want. Why does war happen in the world? War happens because there's an imbalance of resources. Somebody wants something that somebody else has, and so they use a physical means to get it. Whether that's something physical that they want, like a uh, money, or whether it's something that they want like pride or something that's more emotional. Does it matter? If somebody has something that somebody else wants and they take it, it's an imbalance of resources that's causing that argument. So now you take this into a, you back that up and you say, all right, I've got people that have an imbalance of resources. What is it that they really want? And now we get into our decision-making process. Okay, because this is at the crux when we can understand what this process is and when we can teach the people around us how to use this process and stand with them and not be in judgment. And let me tell you, it is really hard to not be in judgment when you hear some of these things like two people fighting in an office. If you're somebody who does not fight, it is not in your vernacular. It's not something that you would ever choose to put your fists up. It would be very hard to have empathy for people that chose that. But just like we would want to have empathy in any other situation, we get to be calm and understand, okay, what really happened in their decision-making process that led them to put their fists up or to threaten that? What is the imbalance of resources? What is it that they both really want? And how do I, as a leader, create the win-win situation so that everybody can walk out of this scenario as whole as possible? As a leader, that's our job. And there are plenty of opportunities to practice it. There are plenty of opportunities in your home. If you're a parent, there's opportunities there. If you have a partner, there's opportunities there. If you are leading a company, there's opportunities there. If you are a part of a nonprofit, you are a volunteer on a board or at a committee level, there are opportunities there. Because wherever there are people, more than one person gathered, there is an opportunity for an imbalance of resources. And there's an opportunity for tough decisions to be made. Now. Let's just think about this from a decision-making perspective, since today is called decision-making when there is no good option. I think that there has always been a time where decisions had to be made where there weren't great options. But at the end of the day, that's a constant. It's just what happened the last few years and the scenarios that we've been put in, it brought it to light. I have heard more times over the last few years, this is, I'm gonna give you the word. If you wanna, wanna trigger me, there's just, there's, I still get triggered. Uh, I've been working on this stuff for a long time, but I am human. Uh, and I, we, unless you are like the Dalai Lama, he, I don't know that he gets triggered. Uh, 
or th that that was a, a thing, uh, but you really would have to practice not being triggered. And for me, I still have some triggers and I'm gonna give you one of them. One of them is to say, well, in this uncertain times. Now I realize that I have a book called Joy in Uncertainty, A Guide to Creating a Meaningful Life. It's available on Amazon if you're interested. So I realize I have a book that has the word uncertainty in it. But when I released that, we weren't using uncertain like we are now. And uh, that word, uncertain, when have we ever been in a certain time? When? Ever. But yet we use it now like something's changed. But nothing's changed. It's just that we're talking about it now. So the more that we say, well, in these uncertain times, it makes it sound like something has changed. But it hasn't. And so when there is no good option, there's never been a great option with a solid consequence. When you make a choice, we've never said, if you make this choice 100%, this will be the guaranteed outcome. That has never in the history of ever been the scenario. But we told ourselves that because the complexity around us was maybe less, that the certainty must be there. But that's just simply not the case. We've always been in uncertain times. I would argue that the costs and the consequences weren't as great. But now we're playing a bigger game. There's a bigger spotlight on us. As leaders, we know that our employees, if, if we make a decision and they don't like it, they can leave. And other people will gladly take them. We know that everything that we've built can be taken away very quickly. And so are the times any more uncertain than they ever were? Or are the expectations put on us just greater? I would say that it's the latter. That the expectations that are put on us are greater and we're feeling it. And so we label that as uncertain times. But the real, the medicine for this and the way to really create a path forward is a decision-making process and understanding that we're clear on what that looks like. So I have the process that I'm gonna to reveal to you today that I use when I'm making really tough decisions. And I've had to make some really tough decisions like I'm sure you have. And I'd be really interested to hear your process if it's different than mine. So we're gonna go on a quick break and then I will reveal to you what my process is. You're listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Enjoy this quick break. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. 
To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And today, we've been talking all about decision-making when there seems like there is no good option. Decision-making when there is no good option. And so what we're going to focus on in this next segment of the show is the five-step decision-making process that I use. Now, everybody could use a different process. I have no idea whether you have a process or what it is. And so I'm intrigued. And as you hear mine, think about what would that look like for you? And definitely let me know your thoughts, if this would work for you or not. My email is Kathleen at KathleenReason.com. And I'm always interested to see how other people approach decision-making. But I'll tell you what, the very first place that I start in the decision-making process is with the problem. Now, I'll just give you an acronym for my five-step process. So it's P-S-C-C-L, P-S-C-C-L, okay, P-S-C-C-L. Now, that doesn't actually spell anything if you're sitting there saying Pascal, no, (laughs) it just doesn't. Um, Wouldn't that be cool? If you think of a word, you let me know. But the first, the P stands for problem, because what actually happens when we are identifying the the problem and how to actually make a decision, oftentimes the decision that we're attempting to solve isn't necessarily the decision that needs to be solved. Okay, it's not always necessarily the decision that needs to be solved. So for example, let's just say you have a business unit in your company, and this this is a real life scenario that I'll share with you. Let's say you have a business unit that is not producing at the level that you want it to produce. So there's, you could be saying, how do I produce the cash flow that we want? So the, you think that the decision that you're making is how to produce this cash flow. But the actual question may actually be, is there a necessity for this division anymore? So if you're sitting here and you're spending all your time figuring out how you're going to create that cash flow, when the real question is, does this division exist anymore? Well, then you're not exactly asking the question. The the question that you're attempting to answer isn't the real question. And so oftentimes when I have leaders come to me for decision-making and and support, they'll ask me a question, but they really want to answer something that's much deeper than what they're asking. And that is where we really get to understand, is the question that we're asking ourselves the actual question? Now, let me paint this in a different picture for you. So... A couple months into COVID, like June of 2020, we were running uh, retail gyms. So as part of our, our businesses, we, well, I'll even, let me, let me go back a few more years just so you can get the full context. So in 2012, my husband comes to me and he says, hey, wouldn't it be great if we owned some gyms or a gym? He wanted to own a gym. Just a side gym, like just thought it'd be fun. He wanted, he liked to go to the gym and wouldn't it be great if we owned one and then he could just go there and. Other people could go there and it'd be fine. And I said, no way. We're not going to buy a gym. That's not, it's not what we're up to. We're really very focused on B2B. We both have marketing backgrounds. And uh, so gym just didn't make sense. And well, a few months later, we bought some gyms. <laughs> and, and we didn't just buy one gym. We bought two gyms and two martial arts studios. And so so we thought when we bought these, well, you know what, our kids are going to go to school, college, all that. It'd be great if we would make an extra 
$30,000 and a year put a little, so it was, was not about making a ton of money. It was just about making a little bit more. We put that aside and that was it. And we thought my husband would continue in his career and I would continue in mine and we would have this, this investment. Well, that is, that is not how it ended up playing out. Very, very different. And fast forward, we are in the middle of COVID. And now we have one of these gems, one of them that actually had been very profitable. We move, we're moving locations right as COVID hit. And the landlord says that he can't finance the build out. So typically with the tenant improvements or build out of a property, the landlord would come to the table with some money to finance the build out. And then you would amortize it, meaning you would take that cost over the life of your lease and just pay it back over time. So very standard practice. And that was the one we had agreed to. Well, the landlord who owned a bunch of restaurants, his cash flow was getting cut tight. He says, I can't, I can't uh, do these tenant improvements, but you can. Well, at the same time, we had gone through this exact same process in our martial arts. So this other part of our business that we had owned and we were merging them together and we covered that exact same uh, scenario. We had just covered about a quarter of a million dollars of TI build outs. And now banks aren't loaning to gyms and all of a sudden we got another $250,000 to come up with. And in those kinds of businesses, like it depends on what business you, you run to see what you, whether you think that's a lot of money or not, but to us, that's a lot of money. And uh, long story short, we had a really tough decision. We got to either close a very profitable business, come up with money knowing that we didn't know when the economy was gonna turn around here and whether people would start coming in because our revenue had already gone from 100% to 30%. So if we made the commitment and came up with the money, we would have to continually put more money in each month until the environment switched and that could end up producing money in it. And we didn't know what that looked like. It could be a year from now. It could be two years from now. It could be six months. We had no idea. So we knew that the, the second that we signed this agreement, that we would be in a really bad position. But if we didn't sign it, then we had debt associated with that that we would have to pay back. And we'd also be in a really bad position. And we're not talking just about an, a, a, like an uncomfortable position. We're talking multiple six-figure debt, multiple, like over a half million dollars debt, based on this decision. So if you make a decision, if we made a decision to shut down the company, it's a half million dollar debt that my husband and I got to cover. If we made a decision to move forward with this and come up with another half million or quarter of a million, plus we got to cover whatever that period of time is, which could be another quarter of a million dollars, all of a sudden we got a half million swing either way. That's a really tough position. That was that was a very tough call to make. And so we looked at the problem and said, okay, what's the actual problem here? Is the problem that they're not producing enough cash? Well, sort of. I mean, they, that, at the end of the day, they weren't because they went from 100% revenue to 30% revenue. Okay, so, so that was an issue. But part of the problem was from a longevity of the company, it did, there was, we couldn't identify what the path was. And so we got to be really clear about the problem is that we have some real ongoing concerns about what the business looks like. Now that language, ongoing concerns, okay, the accountant in me is coming out, the accountant, because remember, I'm a former CPA and ongoing concerns is what you would label a company where you really have questions about whether it can continue. Because in a retail fitness environment, if you don't have people coming in 
to the location, then that's your lifeblood. And so if you don't have that, then, then you're not even sure that the company can continue. We were offering online services, but they don't carry the same rate and people are only okay with that for as long as they're okay with that. And so it's a real fickle environment. So now you're playing, you're gambling with a lot of different pieces. Talk about uncertainty. You don't know which one, how long we're gonna play in this game. And so all you can do is say, how long am I willing to stand in this fire? And which half million am I willing to lose? And that was ultimately the question. Which half million am I willing to lose? Am I willing to have a certain half million loss? Or am I willing to have a potential half million loss? Could be greater, could be less. But I'm also in a commitment for another seven to 10 years based on the length of the lease of this new location. And so now we've looked at what really is the problem. And the problem in this case was we have an ongoing concern. How do we create the best level of, I'll use the word certainty, in this situation? So that was the problem. But you can see how that can be a really complex problem that you got to walk through. And when you're in it, emotions are flying. I look back into that time period and I think, even as somebody, I'm so grateful that I took a lot of the emotional intelligence trainings that I did and and I'm able to hold my emotional intelligence at, at a certain level, that was still really challenging. And we actually utilized a third party, meaning a consultant, a coach, to come in and support us in walking through this process. Because it is a lot for one person or a group of people to sort through, because you got emotions on it. I mean, when you're thinking half million one way or half million the other, let me tell you, I, Kathleen Reeson, this may come as a surprise to you, but not to me, I don't have an extra half million sitting around ready to just hand out to somebody because they asked for it. And so this, certainly, I can tell you, and I'll get real transparent here, and I know I've shared this on the show, but when I was, we were making this decision, my husband and I got to come face-to-face -face with potential bankruptcy. Now, here we are, you know, highly professional people with great backgrounds and had a ton of experience and hold ourselves to a pretty high standard. And now we're saying, is that the option we have to go down? Because we got we had contractual agreements to get out of and our lawyers were saying, the only way to get out of this, if you truly want to shut this business down is bankruptcy. This hadn't even been a thought for us. And now all of a sudden we got to face this head on. I mean, wow, what a challenging place. But I'm telling you this because when you're in a really tough decision and you don't know what the good option is, it's not an easy place to be in. So you want to have an advisor standing by your side that doesn't have that emotional pull that you're going to have. So that's what I use. I am that for people. But I also utilize that when I'm in tough decisions because we all are going to be there at some point. So once you understand the problem, in this case, we understood that the ongoing operations of this company was the problem. Then we get to go to our S. So P was the problem. S is identifying all of the possible solutions. Now you can hear in the process of identifying the, the problem, we actually came up with some solutions, but this S is really laying them all out and putting them out as if they are all certain options. There's that word certain again. So if we know that the problem is ongoing operations, what are all of the solutions that could fit to solve this problem? Well, number one, shut it down. You shut it down, you got consequences. Number two, keep going. Number three, Find a buyer. Okay, there's probably a fourth, fifth, sixth. If you can't figure out what fourth, fifth, sixth are and you want more options, go ask other people. 
because somebody else will see the problem differently than you. Go ask an advisor, go ask a friend, go ask another business peer or leader and say, what would you do in this kind of situation? You don't have to give them all the details. In fact, the less details you can give them, the better. Because you want them to look at it from a clear perspective and say, well, what would you do in this scenario? Because what they may give you is option four, five, and six that you couldn't see before. And maybe not. But at the end of the day, when you have all of your possible solutions in front of you, then you go to the C. So P is problem, S is all the solutions, C is the consequences. Now, this is just a best guess. To be really honest with you, it is a best guess. So you look at, if I choose this solution, what do I believe the consequences might be? So as I told you, if we chose to shut it down, it was a guaranteed half million dollar debt that we would incur and that we would get to figure out how to pay off. Either release that through bankruptcy, which would, which would put our other businesses at risk, or uh, we could pay it off over time. So there were definitely consequences to that decision. Or we could continue to operate it and incur significant amounts of debt. And we didn't know where the end point on that was. So that was another option. Or selling it, where we entered into a few conversations, but there were no interested borrowers or interested buyers at that time. Okay, so those that was our consideration set. Well, we knew the consequences to those decisions. So that was our C. And then we go into the, the second C, which is choose. This is the toughest part. The toughest part. Because you just got to pick. And when you pick, you say, which consequences am I willing to pay? And in the end, what we chose was we chose to stop the bleeding as much as we could, which meant closing that business. Now we figured it out. We did not file bankruptcy, which is really irrelevant to the story. We get to, we, we've gotten to, to address that debt on our own and release that and not through that means. Now I have no judgment on people that choose that. It just wasn't our path and that wasn't what we got to go down. But the whole point of this is that we took what we, what the numbers that we knew and we took that because we were willing to pay that consequence versus what we didn't. Meaning we didn't choose the ongoing concerns saying, would we be even a worse situation six months from now or a year from now or two years from now? We didn't know. And I've had this same situation play out in different iterations multiple times where you just take what you know. Now, six months later, if we were to repeat that same decision, would we choose that same solution? Maybe. Maybe not. But as a leader, it's not fair to put yourself in that position to say, well, if you knew now what you knew, if you knew then what you know now, what decision would you have made? That is an unfair position because you made the best decision at the time based on the information that you had. You made the best information at the time based on the information that you had. And that, those words that I just shared with you right there are what helped me sleep at night. Because when I'm in a situation where it feels like a lose-lose, I have to make the best decision that I can based on the information that I have now, knowing that in the future, more information will reveal it itself, more information will reveal itself that had I had it, it would maybe, maybe, it might have made a difference in my decisions. But if I didn't have it, couldn't do anything about it. And so releasing that process and saying, here it is, this is the process I'm going to follow is so important. And there's one other step. It's the L, but we're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, I'll reveal to you the last and most important step of this decision making process. 
Remember, it's not about whether the decision was right or wrong. It's about mastering the decision-making process because the more that you master this process, the higher yield you will have on your problem solving, meaning you will be happier with your results because you follow a process and you've mastered the process. And this, my friends, is the process. All right, you're gonna go on this quick break. You're listening to The Kathleen Recent Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Recent Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Recent for your next event at KathleenRecent.com. That's KathleenRecent.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Welcome back to the Kathleen Recent Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Recent Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And today we're talking all about the decision-making process, what to do when there is no good option. And the last step, so we've talked about the first four of this five-step process. And again, it's about the process, not about the decisions that you make, but once you can work through a process and be really practice that process, I believe that the yield of, so the, the desired result that you wanna create through decision-making will improve because really it, you don't wanna make decisions off the cuff. You wanna actually follow a process when you're talking about really difficult, complex decisions. And so the, the first step, P, was problem. S was identifying the solutions. C was about identifying the, the most likely consequences. The second C is choose. So choose based on which consequences you're willing to pay and which you're not. And then the last step, and I believe this is the most important step, is L, and that is learn. So we get to learn what, what works and what doesn't work for us. What works for somebody else may be different, what works for us. But we've got to learn from our consequences. And as I told you earlier, my uh, oldest son is, he's sitting in some consequences right now at school. Uh, he is, he is in a, he gets to experience for himself what a, a pretty big consequence is. Now, what happened that led to that? It's just typical. I mean, it's not even, it's just, con just things that happen, uh, middle school type behavior, but I'm not there to coach and guide him at every step. When he was little, I was right there. I, we held hands, we, we were together. Now, as he gets older, I'm just, I'm not there because this stuff, the whole point of, of kids growing up, I think it's the same thing that happens in uh, the workplace, especially as we give our employees, we, they wanna have autonomy. They wanna, these are smart people. That's why they're on our teams. And, and so we want them to make really great decisions, but we get to give the framework for it. We get to sh share, this whole process so that, that everybody, including ourselves, can learn from these consequences. So once, when we had C for consequence and then the second C was choose, the 
The C for consequence was about what we believe the consequences are going to be. But the step in the learning, this L, this learning, the fifth step, that's about identifying the real consequences. So my story that I shared with you about closing down this business that we knew closing it down would be a half million dollars of debt. That was a real tough one. And the reality was, I would love to tell you that that was a perceived consequence and not an actual consequence, but that is not the case. It was a real consequence. And for the last two years, we pay this debt load. We, we have it set up where we pay the debt load each month. And every month I'm like, man, whew, I wish we didn't have to pay this, but that was the consequence. Now, had we not paid, had we not chosen that, we would have chose something else. It could have been drastically different. That amount could be much greater. We don't, I don't know because that's not what we chose. So I can't beat myself up saying, well, if I would have chosen differently and been in resentment because of my choice, because I did what I could at the time. And what I can tell you during this learning phase, because you absolutely have to go through it. You don't have to, but I believe you should. <laughs> what, what I learned was that the perceived consequences and the actual consequences may be different and they may be the same. But all we can do is say, based on the decision at that point, this is what I thought were the best scenarios. And what can I learn from this so that in the future, I can create the results that I want? What would be different? And in this case, what I learned was the results there, what I would change going forward so that I don't get into a situation like that again, actually goes very back to the beginning about how I structure partnership deals. That the real lesson for me was there. It wasn't about what do you make a decision when you're up against the wall and you got a business that you don't know about ongoing concerns. It's about how you structure it in the beginning. And so I can apply that lesson to the beginning of partnership structure. And that is really valuable because when my clients come to me and they've got questions and they're structuring these business deals or I, I can see train wrecks potentially coming partly because I've been in the train and I have driven the train and I have seen so many train wrecks that my job is to illuminate potential consequences for choices. That is the value of an advisor. You want somebody that has played a game like what you're up to and can see potentials coming because they can highlight potential consequences of decisions that you're making. They also can give you that value of Oh, what's the word? It's not coming to me, but uh, it's a very simple word. I'll describe it. I <laughs> love it when I'm on my radio show and I can't think of the word. But when perspective, oh my gosh, that's what I'm trying to say, perspective. Because an advisor has perspective. An advisor can say something that, that I may feel is a really, really big deal at the time. The advisor can say, I, I hear you and it is a big deal and I'm sorry that you're going through that. And please know that this does not define who you are or what the future of you or your company look like. When you can hear that from somebody else that says, hey, look, I've been there. I know how icky it feels right now, but you're gonna get through this. I'm gonna stand with you. There is nothing better than that. So know that, especially as you're making decisions where you feel like there's no good option, make sure you've got those people by your side, whether it's a formal advisor, like the roles that I play, or whether it's a good friend, whether it's a, uh, maybe it's your a partner in life, if you've got that, maybe it's a parent. I mean, I use my parents, well, my mom has, has passed away, but my dad all the time as an advisor. And 
it's it's a little bit different. I don't necessarily use him in the business advising, although I mean I could. It's just that he's not been through. He's he grew up in a very different track. He's very medically advised. But I'll tell you what, we've been through some weird medical stuff at my house, and he is absolutely the person that I call. He's the number one speed dial where I say, hey, dad, what would you do in this situation? Because he gives me the perspective. He doesn't make the choice for me, but he gives me the perspective so that I can make the choice. He makes sure that I have all the potential solutions that I can see and that he could potentially see. And he walks me through this process. So having somebody that can do that for you in business is really, really important because as much as I would love to say that because I know this process, I can just walk myself through it all the time, the bigger the, the decisions get, the more challenging it gets to walk yourself through this process. That's why I have a client and he, he calls me, he pays me to answer the phone when he calls. Now it's not like, oh my gosh, he called, clear everything on my schedule. I can't go into meetings because what if he calls? It's not like that. He just says, Kathleen, look, when I get into a pickle, is the word he uses, a pickle, he knows that he's got to make big, big decisions. And that when he gets into a challenge where he's not exactly sure how to work through it, it is worth it to him to have access to someone like me that can walk him through different scenarios and that he can be clear on the other side. That to him is hugely valuable. And that to me is hugely valuable to have those kinds of people in your life. If you are making big complex decisions, you've got to have somebody that's that neutral third party that will question your actions that will say, hey, have you thought about this? What about this? What do you think of this? Let's look at these consequences. It's not that they're saying, no, don't make that decision. They're saying, I will walk through this process with you. You're going to make the decision but I'm going to walk through the process with you and I'm going to hold your hand and I'm going to support you because nothing about this is going to be comfortable. Making big decisions where they're feel, even when there is a good option, it does not feel good. It doesn't feel good because it's, it's tough. This is the, by far the hardest part of a job at the level that you're playing. Now think about that when you start in your job and when you're uh, just starting out, you're asked to make decisions, but the impact and the consequences of those decisions aren't that great. But as you grow in your leadership, as you grow in your uh, abilities to take on more work, the consequences get bigger. So by the time you're into a senior leadership role, the consequences are pretty big. We're not playing the same game that we were playing 10, 15, 20 years ago. You wouldn't go back 10, 15, 20 years and ask that version of yourself to solve this challenge because it just wouldn't make sense. You didn't have the information. You didn't practice this decision-making. Now you look at an 80-year-old and you ask them, so like this challenge that I'm working on with my, with my oldest son right now, the, the thing that he's dealing with. If, I, if my great-grandparents were alive today, they are not, but if they were alive today and I went to them and I said, oh, I'm really struggling here. You know, my kid's uh, gotten into trouble for this and told them, they, might, they would have empathy for me and for my son for, for what he's going through, but I also am fully aware that they would say, this does not define him. It is not who he is. It's just a challenge and you'll all get through it. And that level of perspective is somebody who has mastered the decision-making process to understand what really the big stuff is and what the big stuff isn't. And as a leader, 
as an executive especially, it can get really challenging to confuse the big stuff and the little stuff. And so really, when you're talking about decision making, the biggest piece of advice I can say for you is to have that third party that can stand by your side and say, deep breaths, we're going to make it through this. Whatever it is, we're going to end up on the other side. Maybe it's going to cost you a lot of money. Maybe it's going to hurt your ego. All those things could be true, but we're going to make it to the other side. And let's define what we want the other side to look like. Just had a conversation with somebody this morning and he was telling me all about the challenges that he's having and they are real and they're big. And we get to look at what 2024 looks like not 2023 we're heading into the end of 2022 we're not looking at what 2023 looks like we're looking at what 2024 looks like because we're going to structure to get there that's where we get to focus not how do i make this the the best possible scenario in the next day or week it's how do i set myself up for success how do i set my company up for success how do i set my family up for success because we're playing a long game and sometimes when we get in decision making we want to make the decision that's best for the short term but we get to balance short-term and long-term. We get to balance short-term and long-term. And that is why you're in the role that you're in. We're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we'll wrap all of this up. You're listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership, here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And we have been talking all today about decision-making when there is no good option. Now we talked about the five-step decision-making process that I use that perhaps you can use. It's not about getting the answer right all the time because in this decision-making process, what does right look like? See, when we were a lot younger in our years, I don't like to say that I'm old, but uh, seasoned maybe, <laughs> seasoned. In that period of time, when we were first starting out as employees, the stakes weren't as high, but now they're higher. And now our decisions have greater consequences. And so guess what? That means we get to up our decision-making game. And it's not about going for perfect. There is no perfect. And if you strive for perfection, you get a lot of gray hair, high blood pressure, and it will not be healthy for you. But what you can strive for is working on the process and mastering the decision-making process. And that's why this is so important. So the five-step process is PSCCL. PSCCL, again, it stands for nothing. There is no word, Pascal, but P is identifying what the problem is and being clear on what the problem is. As I shared with you, sometimes it can get really confusing to identify the real problem. So make sure that you've got somebody that's asking you questions, a third party advisor that can support you in upping your decision making, because that's gonna be really important. S is identifying all of the solutions, identifying all the ones that you can think of, that your team can think of, and then go out and ask other people. It's okay for you to be kind of generic in there. You don't want to get too much information or you're leading someone, but it's okay to go seek out other solutions from other people that may open up your solution set. 
Once you know what the potential solutions are, you're going to look at the C consequences, potential consequences. These are all perceived. It doesn't mean that they're 100% accurate. If I choose this, this will happen. It's if I choose this, this most likely will happen. So you're going to outline what the potential consequences are. And then you get to our second C, which is choice. So now you're just going to make a decision based on the most likely set of consequences. Which consequences are you willing to pay? Sometimes consequences are great and we enjoy them and sometimes they're not. Oftentimes we think of consequences as really bad things, but that's not necessarily the case. Consequences, that word has gotten a bad rap. Consequences are just action, reaction. They are the reaction to an action, reaction and consequences. They're the price that you pay because of the choices that you make. So once you understand what the potential consequences are, then you choose. Based on that, you're going to actually now have real consequences. And the last step is L, which is listen and understand what those consequences actually are. Now you're going to figure out there's a lesson in this for you. There's a lesson in this for everybody. And it's your job to understand what that lesson is. In my case, I learned about way back in the beginning and how I would structure partnerships differently based on what I know now. That's a very valuable lesson. In fact, it cost me a half million dollars to learn. <laughs> But I get to look at it that way. It was my half million dollar education in that moment. So some people go get their MBA or their doctorate or, or some kind of postgraduate degree. I bought a half million dollar lesson. So how cool is that? I got a few of those and those are, they're painful to learn. But I'll tell you what, if I now apply that to support myself or a client, then is that worth it? And a hundred times over, yes, it is. So when you, especially when it's finance related, make sure that you grab the lesson and then you can look at it that way. Wow. Okay. That was my half million dollar lesson. So think about that. Do you have a half million dollar lesson? Maybe you have a multi-million dollar lesson. I have a friend right now that's paying a $2 million lesson. I think my half million dollar lesson hurts. His is a $2 million lesson. He's the guarantee on some equipment that, so he signed it with this. He runs a company with his brothers and he signed this guarantee. And now he, He's guessing whether he really wants to sign it. It keeps him up at night. And that's a $2 million lesson that he is learning. That's a painful lesson, my friends. But I know that you also have lessons like that. And you get to understand what those are. Because if you miss the lesson, you're just going to keep repeating the same decisions until you learn the lesson. Because then you apply the lesson forward. In my work, I don't just apply it for myself. I get to also apply it for my clients. Because I played in so many different areas, in so many different industries, I can apply a lot of my lessons. So please, let me apply my half million dollar lesson to you and study this decision-making process. It's really, really important. Now, next week, we are gonna talk about what do your client, or why do your clients work with you? And that may seem like a very simple thought. Why do your clients work with you? And perhaps you have an answer. But what I know to be true is that there's a reason that we believe our clients work with us. And then there's the reason that our clients work with us. And oftentimes it's not the same thing. It may be close, but it's not the same thing. But when you actually understand why your clients work with you, it changes the messaging that you use to your current clients. It opens up opportunities with those clients and it teaches you how to talk to people that aren't yet your clients in a way that they say, that's the problem that I want solved. Come solve it for me. So it increases your ability to then go prospect and close. Plus, there's this process that I'm going to share with you about why your clients work with you 
that actually will allow you to see your services in a different way. Meaning you may think that your most valuable services or product offerings to your clients are one thing, but when they tell you it's something different, you get to really ask yourself, why do I have the offering set that I do if that's not what my clients find valuable? It changes the problem. Remember, we just talked about decision-making processes. And are you asking yourself the right question? Well, that's what we're gonna find out tomorrow, not tomorrow, next week. Why do your clients work with you? So we'll go through some of the questions to ask, the processes. There's actually a third party. Uh, one of the things that my company offers is a way for us to get that kind of that qualitative data from your clients. So you give us the quantitative piece and we'll give you back the qualitative piece that clearly articulates why your clients work with you. It's a really cool tool. So if you've got some extra marketing dollars that you're saying, what am I gonna do with before the end of the year? Cause I don't wanna lose them. Think about signing up for one of these studies to understand why is it that my clients do work with us? Why do they choose us? Because at the end of the day, you can spend all your time guessing but that's not what's going to drive your results. And let's actually dig in and figure it out. And what your clients may tell you are very different than what they'll tell a third party. Believe me, I've done this so many times over my life, my career here, that we see some real revealing things when we ask questions of your clients and say, well, why do you work there? We use our emotional intelligence process to dig in and understand why people choose you. And when you know that, Talk about endless opportunities. So that's next week, and I'm really excited about that. But I want to just wrap up today's show. Decision-making when there is no good option, that can be a really hard thing to do. I don't know that anybody would ever call that easy. But what you can do is get really great at the decision-making process. So remember those five steps. P, problem. S, solution. C, consequence. Second, C, choice. And L, listen or learn you should listen to but hell learn because when you know that when you know the problem and you're asking yourselves the clear problem and you understand what potential solutions are and you're looking at consequences and then you choose and then you learn you're set up for success and just know that you're going to get new information that may change the decision that you had made but we don't work backwards we only work forwards we only work forwards if you are constantly looking behind you you're never going to create what you want in the future so that's not the way we're going to play. We're going to play with what we want to create. We're going to hold that vision and we're going to move forward, marching through it with growth on our mind, because that is a, not just a successful company, but that's how we really lead our employees and create the growth opportunities that they're seeking. Because they can get a paycheck anywhere, but that's not why they're with you. And it's not why your clients are with you. So hang in next week if you want to know why they're with you, because that's what we're going to cover. Thank you so much for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership here on Inspired Choices. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week.